Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, wow, right? Okay, what'd you think of Cloud Atlas? Well, uh, Cloud Atlas... Watching, I, I watched the trailer twice back to back, and I swear it almost brought me to tears. You're talking about the the five minute international trailer. Is that what you watched? It's the it is well for that's my the only trailer. The trailer. I mean, I also watched the clip of the little you know director's commentary, kind of introducing the the project, right? Where the three directors, it's directed by the Wachowski brothers, or I don't know if you call them the Wachowski brothers or just the Wachowskis now. The brothers Wachowski. No, because now it's. Uh, one went from Larry to Lana, while the other is still Andy Wachowski. So there's Andy and wow. Lana Wachowski. Wait a minute. I call myself a nerd, and I don't know what you're talking about. Are you kidding me? No. I, yeah, this happened, I don't know, years ago. I can't remember if it was before or after Speed Racer. So I was, yeah, Larry yeah. became Lana Wachowski. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. You so, go with your bad sex change. That's right. That's right. So uh, so the two of them paired with Tom Tykwer, or however, Tykwer, I don't know how you say his name, but it sounds better when you sound like you're talking German. Tom Tykwer. Tom, Tom Tykwer. Um, uh, the director of Run, Lola, Run, who Which we've been we talking about. totally adore. And uh, the three of them came together. They read this book, and they... Um, decided they're going to direct this movie and they have an interesting little commentary talking about how they came to decide to make it in this big epic and it takes place in the past it takes place in the present and the future and it's got all these characters and all these actors playing different characters through all these times and uh you know watching this trailer uh, and they decided that was a, what i was going to say they said it's such a big story they didn't know how to explain it to people and so what they decided to do was just make a really long trailer. <laughs> and it, it's like a five-minute trailer. And it is. Like it's a sh- through, I'm like, oh, it's about to end. And I looked, and I was, nope. It sure doesn't enough, end. It's, still it's got a go. whole other trailer left after that. Exactly. It is beautiful. And it's not at all what, what I expect, right? It's the, it, you get through this, and it feels like this epic, just sort of love story lost, kind of a glorified sliding doors. And then suddenly it's, it goes to crazy town. I mean, it's it's uh it's totally futuristic and there's laser guns and everything still it's fighting laser guns on a psychedelic rainbow it it's incredible it just watching this trailer it's so epic in so many ways with just so many great actors including tom hanks who's long been at the top one of my favorites of all time um uh, who who hasn't had a great run of movies in the last you know five ten years or so, 
but I still love him. Watching this trailer, I'm like, oh, he's getting into a great movie again. Yeah. Because I just watched this trailer and it just it knocked my socks off. This is the sort of trailer that makes people want to go to the movies. Yes. It's the sort of it's the sort of movie that inspires people to want to make movies. It's it's yes. like everything about a movie that a movie should be. Yes. These are just from watching the trailer. These are movies that the the theater operators desperately need Hollywood to make. Yes. That these are the movies that we need to have in the theaters because there is there is a visceral experience that is different in movies like this. Yeah. It's the sort of movie that needs to be seen on the big screen. Yep. 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 So. Wonderful, wonderful movie. I can't wait to see it. It really, it's it. The trailer itself is is a is a treat to watch, um, and you feel like it's you feel it's one of those trailers where you know you finish it and it's like wow that was rewarding just a rewarding experience by itself. Like I know the movie will be great, but that's different. This this was really rewarding, and I just saw five minutes of it. That was so good. It it really was rewarding, and uh, I mean it's sumptuous. It's mm, that's epic. good. I mean it's really an epic five minutes. It really is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just I'm so excited. It just looks stunning. So, uh, so the other one is uh, is Life of Pi. What do you think of this one? Another one that is epic color. Crazy yeah, you know, rainbow stunning psycho. to look at. I, I I haven't read the book. My wife's told me all about it and, and spoiled it for me, so I kind of know the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited by it. I love Ang Lee. Um, I I think even when I'm not a huge fan of his his movies it's themselves, I think that he's an amazing artist and knows how to make a film. Right. And this is just it's another just sumptuous visual feast to watch this trailer it feels like you're watching a living painting watching this trailer it's that, so gorgeous that is the truth that is the truth the um yeah. now this one i i believe this one was uh was this ang lee this was shot in 3d yeah and i believe it's ang lee's first yes uh it is gorgeous they released uh so the trailer is is there and the trailer is beautiful you you get a little piece of of pie and a lot of the ocean. Did I say that? God, that was great. Totally didn't plan that. That I didn't just plan Just a little that. piece of pie. You get a little piece of pie? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you all about the life of pie. It ends up in my belly. Uh, oh, my goodness. So there you are with yeah. pie, and he's, uh, he, he's a funny little boy. And he gets stranded on a boat with a zebra, a hyena, a monkey. I thought it was and just a, a little tiger. And a 450-pound Bengal tiger named Richard Parker. <laughs> and and uh, so it was, uh, I think, three or four weeks back, they released a um, a, a, a scene from the film right. instead of a trailer. They released the tiger scene with the uh, the little the flying fish. fish which what was, was that on? Because I saw that on a 3D movie. Or Prometheus, wasn't it? I think yeah, you're right. It yeah, it was on IMAX Prometheus. It was on IMAX right. Prometheus. That's right. Um uh, which was which was fantastic uh, uh, clip and it but it's it's another one of those you say like the um, you say like this one like you don't know how to explain it uh, with uh, uh, Atlas uh, you don't know how to explain it so just make a really epic long trailer well this is kind of the same thing you don't know how to explain it so let's just show people the movie let's show them what the experience is and I think that that really set the stage and then man when you see Pi floating underwater watching the ship go down 
it is one of the most uh, powerful just sort of images uh, that I think they captured in this trailer. It's, it looks really gorgeous. I can't wait to see it. I think for me, it was the it was I think it's the opening shot of the trailer when it's just him standing on the boat and you, it's the reflection on that completely still water. Oh, of was that, that amazing sunrise or sunset? Just that beautiful oranges and yellows and reds, and it's just like he's floating in 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 a sunset. You know, essentially, there's no sense of the horizon. It's gorgeous. Right, right, beautiful, beautiful. So these are two. I think that are going to be really, really good. Now, uh, Life of Pi hits uh, November 21st. And for those of you who've been wondering what uh, Gérard Depardieu has been up to, this is your big shot. He plays a Frenchman. Mm. Uh-huh. That's right. You heard it here. So the Frenchman plays the Frenchman. The Frenchman. I don't know about That's you, but weird. I love me some so, Gérard. Is that, type, is that typecasting? <laughs> It's either it's typecasting or it's just plain racist. <laughs> racist. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, let's. Uh, okay, so that's uh, that, uh, you know what do we got? Nothing apart from that. There's nothing else worth talking about. That was the whole thing. I think that was. Uh, yeah, I don't. I I think that was a meal in and of itself. I will tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. I, I, I think... Oh, go ahead. No, I'm I'm just very excited because I have a movie uh, that I have rented. I paid... I paid money. I paid money to rent this movie and I have not watched it yet, but because of you, I'm really excited about it. Wait. Go ahead. Okay. Go, go, no, you... Go. Tell me what you think I'm going to say. I don't know now. You don't. I'm, try, I'm trying to think what I told you to watch. <laughs> you didn't tell me to watch this. I didn't. But you know it's a requirement for both of us to watch this. It is. Oh, is it? Um, go with it. Go with it. Compulsion? Not at all. No, no. no, no. We're not on the same page. Is what you're no. telling me. <laughs> uh, lockout with Guy Pierce. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't know that there are movies that have gotten worse reviews. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. It's it's a thirty seven on the Rotten Tomatoes. I, I I guess that's true. There are movies that have been worse, but this is definitely the bottom of the barrel. Oh no! <laughs> this is your favorite. It's both Luc Besson, which mm-hmm. we're going to be doing some Luc Besson. You're gonna you're gonna thank I, me for that. I'm gonna sit through them all. And uh, and uh, my man Guy Pierce. I can't believe he went from L.A. Confidential to this. Can't believe it. <laughs> this and Prometheus in the same year. Un unbelievable. Oh, uh, and uh, and so this is, but the reason I'm watching this, why am I watching this movie? It's a, it's an important movie to the two of us because it's our stinking idea. It's That's our right. idea. Well, ours was better. Ours was better. It's our, this plus. Our idea was lockout plus. That's right. Awesome. Lockout. Should we, change, should we maybe when we finally write ours, we'll call it lockout plus. Lockout plus. Awesome minus stupid equals our movie. <laughs> There's some complex arithmetic. So I'm very excited about this, and we need to finish that script. That's all I'm going to say. Here, here. All right. Uh, all right. So tonight, we are uh, not wrapping up our Born series. We're not wrapping up our Born series, but we are wrapping up the Jason, Jason Born trilogy. Yeah. We, Is that fair to say? I, th- I think that's fair. I, yeah, I think we, the, we, we would have been wrapping up the Bourne series this evening. 
then somebody rent and ruined it. Thanks a lot, we have Jeremy to go, Renner. We have to go see another movie, Handsome Jeremy. Handsome Jer, they call him. And uh, and so we were doing the Born Ultimatum. Now I, Or as Roger Ebert calls it in one of his many, surprisingly many articles about it, he calls it the Shaky Queasy Ultimatum. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you, okay, first of all, I said, I'm not sure if I actually said this out loud last week. Did I make you, you any? You did. I did. You called this the Jedi. I said of, that, ulti- I said that Ultimatum was going to be my Jedi. And so then I watched it and I, I tweeted, <laughs> confirmed Ultimatum is not my Jedi. And a, a dear friend wrote back saying, who gave you an Ultimatum? So she clearly missed, <laughs> <laughs> missed the reference. You're, 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 you're tweet followers I, are, uh, I don't, are paying attention. I don't I don't truck with enough movie people. That's what I that's what I learned from this. But the but uh, uh what do you what did you think of, of this movie after you watched it again? Get to, where does it stack up? How, how to me, I I think it's the top. I are, think it's my favorite of the trilogy. Are you serious? Yeah. I I love this one. And I I think because of the scene in in Tangier and the scene in Waterloo um, I think those two scenes are so masterfully done uh, by themselves. I, I think you know or they're just astounding sequences. Um, but I think those in the same film, paired with the you know the conclusion of his story, I don't know. I just I really enjoy this one, and I I love Nikki, and I love the way that the Nikki character and the relationship with Nikki is developed between Nikki and Bourne. And um, I I just I really love this one. I uh, I. I I I like it. it's great. I enjoyed it. It's not my Jedi. It's not even my. It's not my Empire. So are you wait? Okay, so we we have to stop here real quick because now I'm curious. <laughs> is where is Jedi for you? Is it the third one down? No, I with the exception of the Ewoks, I quite enjoyed Jedi. Okay, that was, so I think so, that's. What, I think you know. I mean, I. Uh, yeah, you know, I go back and forth. I think Empire is still my favorite. Yeah, I, uh, that's right. Okay. You know, Empire is right up there, and then then Jedi, and then I, I think uh, New Hope, and and. Oh, okay. So Jedi is middle for you. See, Jedi is the third one down for me. Okay. I go. I go. Empire, New Hope, and then Jedi. It, you know, I guess it depends on it depends on the viewing. You know, New Hope and Jedi are pretty close, but there there are just. Man, they're the speeders. Those speeders just get me every time. Yeah. Anyway, so the, the, that's why I was really looking forward to to this one being hitting the middle ground for me. And I, I it is, I find it the most difficult one to uh, track. And I, I think there are two reasons for that. First of all, there are more people to keep track of, and second, there is a lot more nausea. See, and that's interesting because, and I mean, based on Roger Ebert and talking about this shaky, queasy ultimatum and all this stuff, I actually found this one less nauseating than The Born Supremacy. Really? Yeah. This one I find so much easier to watch. And because I was really focusing on that this time um, because of all these articles and they, they, especially this movie, it seemed to be kind of the pinnacle of everybody complaining about you know, this, this shaky cam and, you know, speaking, going back to our chaos cinema, um, article and videos that we had, had talked about a couple episodes ago. I, I don't know. This one to me doesn't seem, and maybe, maybe I got, I I was so convinced that it was 
more shaky than all the rest because of all the articles talking specifically about this one. When I finally watched it, I'm like, that really wasn't so bad. Supremacy huh. to me just seems so much shakier. This is this is beyond chaos cinema and back to I think the full on jiggly monkey. <laughs> oh, oh no! I mean, there We've are a, a <laughs> Tony Scott territory. There are pieces of this that are damn near comical, man. Where they, they he does these uh, Greengrass, right? Paul Greengrass, and who's the who's the cinematographer on this? Uh, um, I don't know. Come on, wiki nonsense. Uh, Oliver Wood. Yeah, Oliver Wood. Right. Okay, so there are there are times where this thing is doing these comically fast spontaneous zooms, uh, where you're walking along, you're tracking Jason Bourne, and then it does a quick zoom so quickly into his face that you honestly feel like you're gonna smack your forehead into Jason Bourne's head. Like it's 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 like that. It's uh, it's no longer there's no longer any sort of if you can call it uh shaky cam grace. It's just uh spasmodic. Hmm. That's the thing. That's I think that's what I get from going from identity supremacy ultimatum. We move for for me progressively into the vomit territory, and now this is this is we're right there. There's a lot about this movie that I like, and I think you know Matt Damon. Uh, I think his performance, at least, check me on this, but I think his performance gets progressively better through the series, uh, yeah, and his handling of Jason Bourne, the character, is progressively better. Well, and I think there's reason for that. I think clearly it's a story, a trilogy, where we're watching a character go from not knowing who he is, exploring, you know, finding out bits and pieces to the end, to this one, where he really finally comes to to figure it all out. And while he may not know who, you know, all of the backstory of David Webb, the person he finds out that he is he's finally able to close the chapter on this part of his life. And so it, it is very much about, uh, as Paul Greengrass said, you know, he's come full circle. The young gunslinger has now become the old. You know, he's, he's now grown up, so to speak, and he's seen, the, he's seen that whole journey from the time when he first went into the um, treadstone slash black briar lab and gave him his dog tags and said he wanted to be part of the program and willingly shot and some you know person with a with a hood on his head um he he's able to finally go from that to not able to um change what he's done but he's able to confront it uh there's a great uh, quote that Paul Greengrass says about Jason Bourne, which I think says it all pretty well. And I think this defines uh, in a large part why Matt Damon it was able to bring so much to the table for this. Um, Paul Greengrass said, the answers that Bourne seeks can't be consoling. He's a character with a dark past, with a redeeming future, but in seeking to confront his past, he can't avoid responsibility for what he's done. And I think it's at the core of the heroism and the morality of the character that he successfully does he is, sorry, he successfully does see what happened and that what happened doesn't sentimentalize him or duck his responsibility. I think it's part of what makes the Bourne films unique and original. They're prepared to go to the dark places and from them find a sense of redemption and a truthfulness and a way forward. There's a, that it's uh, absolutely. And, and I think it's that quote in particular uh, for, for this movie. And I guess, 
it makes even that much more sense if you look at the sort of dramatic gift we were given in the born identity we we discovered as an audience that this won't end well we knew already when you look at it, at the the overall character arc that that this won't end well in terms of born finding out who he is there is no way it can go you know his impression of himself his own self sort of identity or his his relationship with his inner demon can go anywhere but down because right. with every movie we learn about more atrocities that he's committed in the name of his uh, amnesia Right. In the spirit right. of his amnesia. And and in this movie, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in your thoughts on that particular transformation. Right. Because we get to see the transformation you've already mentioned at the scene where he is asked to to assassinate that uh, the, the hooded man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of the cold blood killing. And what we get is uh, I want you to pull the trigger. Uh, what did he do? It doesn't matter what he did. I want you to pull the trigger. And and what is I mean, what does that scene represent to you? It's a very powerful scene. It's I mean it's it's the, I mean it's essentially, killing his past, right? I mean, in a way, I think that's kind of what it is. Without the amnesia, which becomes the obvious, you know, block of everything that he was before. Mm-hmm. But in a way, that's him killing off David Webb. And saying, "I I am now going to be um 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 not a mindless killer, but a killer with no remorse, no emotion. I am a tool for you." And so he's he's essentially wiping his wiping his slate. I mean, he, of clean of everything he was up until that point. Mm-hmm. What I, what I love about it is that I, I think you're absolutely right. He's He really is wiping the slate clean of his history. And with those two gunshots, he's also killing his future. Yeah. Well, that's very true. You know, he is in, in, that, in that, that single moment of presence, he's finished. Whether he is, you know, and, and I think that's, that's part of kind of the stunt of the dramatic arc of this movie. It eventually becomes irrelevant that he has amnesia at all. Uh, it's such a story of you know the the um, just the the horrors of the political system in which he operates. Uh, I, I, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It really is. It's a really unique story about uh, about this person who really is just lost. And uh, I mean, I think it does make sense that he's just somebody who. Um, the remorse and somebody who's now in a weird way, it's like he's wiping the slate clean of having wiped the slate clean right. and is able to now um, atone for his sins. He'll never be able to uh, remove them from himself, but he's able to at least atone for them. So you said that your the, the scenes that were the most powerful for you were, what did you say? It was uh, Tangiers and Madrid? Is that what you... Waterloo. Oh, Waterloo. Okay. So why why did those scenes stand out for you? I, well, Waterloo, first off, is, is just... I, I think in, in a large sense, it's just mostly the stunning way that those scenes are put together. The action is choreographed. The cat and mouse games are played. Um, now, specifically, what's going on in Waterloo at this point? Well, specifically, Waterloo yeah. is a scene where there is a reporter who 
has accidentally, in a way, um, stumbled across this unfortunate key word that he says on the phone, Blackbriar, that triggers the CIA to start tracking him. Um, they find out that he's met with somebody who knows about this Blackbriar um, program that the government started up. At the end of, it's brought up by Brian Cox's character, Wade, at the end of The Born Identity when they close Treadstone. It's basically Treadstone Plus is kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. And this reporter finds out about it. Um, Jason Bourne reads his article, which is all about Jason Bourne and this mystery of this strange, uh, you know, spy and all this trouble he's causing. So Jason Bourne's tracking him, and it all comes to a head in Waterloo Station in London, where Jason um, meets this reporter and realizes that the reporter is already, just in the short time that he wrote this article, he's already being followed by the CIA. They're onto his every move. Not only um, are there people all over the station tracking this guy, but there's also a hitman there. And so Jason, through this amazing choreography of, you know, giving the guy a phone secretly and then having him duck at the right time in a weird way. You know, it kind of reminds me of the scene in, in uh, Minority Report mm -hmm. when the um, I can't remember what those people are called, but when the lady, the, those prescient people who can see the future when she's. Um, she's telling him all the right moves to make so that they're always in the right spot to avoid everybody's... Exactly, like when to be under the umbrella and... Right. Uh, and behind the balloons it, and all right. that sort of stuff. It's exactly the same thing. Like Jason Bourne can tell where all the cameras are in the place. So he knows when he needs to have the guy in a certain position or ducking, tying, tying his, his shoe. Tying so his people, yeah. yeah, so the people don't see him. And that whole game is just so masterfully played. It's just wonderful. And then Jason gets him into the... Um, the back hallway where he attacks the people who are following him. And then you've got that just amazing moment when he looks up and he sees the security camera watching him and you cut to the CIA um, room where you see Noah watching him. And he's just like, Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne. Yeah, yeah. And the reality sinks in that Jason Bourne is not uh, gone. He's still out there. They're, they're, you know, he's still causing them problems. It's such a great moment. It is a great and, moment, but it's 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 really punctuated at the end with the hitman bit. I mean, well, and right, and then they they send the asset over there, um, pause, yeah, to go over there, and then that whole thing is just it's so tragic. It's such a a, a horrible moment for that poor reporter. Um, you know, it's it's it's. it's it's a wonderful, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful who's watching who kind of a sequence. And just when you think he's got it, just when you think all that skill, doesn't matter if he's, he's you know, he has amnesia because he is so skilled that he can save the life of this reporter. The reporter freaks out and yeah. Jason can't get to him and he, and he won't listen and, and he is killed. Yeah, the reporter wonderfully played by Patty Considine, mm -hmm. um, one of the Andes from Hot Fuzz. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. <laughs> Well said. <laughs> I had not made that connection. That's fantastic. That's right. uh, it, yeah, no, it was. And so he had a, uh, a short uh, career in this film. Um, he did. It was, it was very sad. It very was sad. very sad, but terrific um, yeah. sequence. It, it's another one. It reminds me of uh, what was that movie with the hats? Thomas Crown Affair. Remember mm. that scene at the end with all the hats? I don't remember. That was the remake, right? Yeah, the remake. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. The original more than the remake. It wasn't great, but the hats were good. Uh, okay. So, so that's Waterloo. It was, it was really, like you said, it was perfectly architected. I think this scene. Yeah, it really was. And it speaks highly for this type of filmmaking, which I, I don't think, um, we've really addressed that much, but when you're making a film like this, it's really challenging doing these action scenes because you shoot all this stuff. And and uh, Paul Greengrass was saying something about how, as the audience, when we're watching the film, we see the action scene, and it seems to be cut together exactly how it should have been. All, all the beats are in the right spot, well, when it's a good one at least. Everything is right. Everything works the way that it's supposed to. And it's it's great to see, and it's fun, and it's exciting. But when they are making this movie, there are so many shot options that they get. And they, they get lots of shots, more than they use, lots of takes of all these shots. Um, and then they have just lots of footage of all these different angles. And, and, and they get the same action caught from all these different um, all these angles and, and uh, different speeds and you know wide, short, moving shots, all these different things. And the editors have to sit here find all the different pieces that fit together and find a way to tell the story where it is cohesive and you understand where all the different players are and it all makes sense. Yeah. And and watching a scene like this Waterloo scene when you you get to the end of that sequence and you just realize how how strong it was and how it told this story just in that one location so well and it was such a thrill ride from beginning to end and you're on the edge of your seat just wanting um, born to get this poor reporter out of there, and then the then the um, assassin comes in and kills him, and it's just you know it's it's heartbreaking, it's frustrating, but it's also just an amazing adrenaline ride through this whole thing, and you realize how amazing it is to or how how amazing a scene like this can be when the people making it really know how to tell it well. Absolutely, you know there is a sequence in you know in the the Waterloo sequence we have the 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 uh, the stairwell fight scene mm-hmm. uh, where you know as you, you've already mentioned where Bourne disarms the agents that are following him to protect uh, the reporter and there is this there's a sequence that is just so artfully done and everything's moving so fast uh, you know and these it's already nauseatingly jiggly uh, <laughs> but but there's a sequence where he uh, where Bourne throws. Uh, throws an agent into another agent through a, a doorway, which traps the agent who has the gun, his hand. And we have, we go from throwing body, which uh, gives us a, a track into the hand, then a close up of the gun, and for literally a few frames, it seems like. And then we go back over the reporter's shoulder, also uh, focus on the reporter, but the gun is still there in the background. Uh, in and it's all blown out, but you can still see this this perfect sequence where you are tracking the gun through a series of five or six cuts, uh, and it's happening so fast. But you know that is, I, I mean, you just how did they follow the gun when it was moving that fast? You you're just blown away by the art that these guys wield in the editing room. It was unreal. Yeah, uh, and it, this movie is full of those things. These little sequences where beat by beat you get uh, tracking the uh, tracking at a level of detail that you just you, you can't even uh, you can't imagine until you've seen the movie five six times. Um, there's there's a lot to uh, every sequence, I think. 
Yeah, and uh, Christopher Rouse um, was one of the co-editors on the last one. He edited this one solo, um, and he rightfully won his Oscar for this. I mean, he he really deserved the Oscar. Yeah, yeah. This one, this was was a a real testament to continuity. I mean, he he you can you can tell. I mean, it's got a, an artful uh, attention to detail. Yeah. So, so there's that sequence. And then Tangiers is the other one that for me is just, I mean, equally, it's the same thing, except on a larger scale. It's more of a city scale rather than just a, a, a station, right? Mm -hmm. This one, you've got that amazing sequence where they're being, um, they're, this whole setup is, you know, uh, Jason and Nikki are there to track down, um, what's his name, Daniel, mm -hmm. uh, to get the... Uh, to find out, you know, about the uh, the Blackbriar project and where Jason Bourne came from and all that stuff, and um, then they realize that um, one of the assassins, Dash, has been called to assassinate Daniels, and now they're trying to stop Dash from killing Daniels, which you know they fail at, but then you know the CIA realizes that well, what's going on, and so then they have Dash turn around and go after Nikki and Jason. And it's it's such a mind-blowing sequence as Desh tracks Nikki as she kind of escapes through Tangiers, and then Bourne is tracking Desh, trying to help Nikki, meanwhile being followed by all the police and everything. And it's just mm -hmm. an amazing scene as Bourne is jumping over the rooftops and, and all of this stuff, uh, culminating in, I think, one of the great action shots of all time when uh, Jason Bourne leaps off of the roof through a window and the camera follows him off the roof and through the window. It is a stunning shot and it's just it's, it's an amazing shot that happens so fast but uh, it just it speaks to me the the level of stunt work that they did on this film and that this that whole sequence in in Tangier you know the first one i to me really stood out as what you could do with the editing in an action film and this one really stood out this sequence stood out for me as what you could do in the stunt in the world of stunts in an action film and seeing a moment like that where they work so hard and they they have this stuntman train to literally jump off this roof and and go through a window on the next building over and have a camera behind him swinging down with him into that window as well landing potentially upon him yeah it's it is mind-blowing yeah and i just I, you know I, I i don't think that people in the world of stunts are recognized as um as as much as they should be and uh, you know i kind of boggles the mind considering how important stunt work has become uh or has been in the film world for for so many decades that there's not an oscar for you know the stunt coordinating because i mean inevitably there should be there's amazing stunts done every year but dan bradley the stunt coordinator on on this film and uh, the last one um, and actually the next one, I think, um, really stands out to me as somebody who, who really pulled out all the stops and just made some amazing stuff happen in this film. And uh, it just, it really is an exciting film to watch because of that. I, I have it running here and I'm watching the the discovery scene with the, uh, the flashlight on the fan in the closet. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a great fight scene that comes after that. To your point, I mean, that the... the the uh the the fight coordination is 
unreal uh, what they train these guys to do. It is. And, I mean, Matt Damon, and this is something we haven't talked about that much, but Matt Damon, that was something he really wanted in these films to Mm be um, seen as somebody who's really doing a lot of this stuff. And uh, I believe in the next film as well, Jeremy Renner, these guys are doing a lot of their own stunts and the fight sequences and all this. And Matt Damon actually trained to do stunt driving in the parking garage scene. At the end of this, he's driving the car through the parking garage as it's slamming into walls and everything. He did not drive it backwards off of the parking garage roof. But, uh, but Well, everybody's got their line. Uh, yeah, that's right. Exactly. But uh, it's still, it's it really, uh, to me, this, this movie defines um, in many ways the types of things that um, should be done in action films. It's just rock solid stuff. So, uh, you know, it's funny. We've, we've, we watched the, the first movie, uh, which was uh, obviously an identity. It was his journey to find himself and uh, figure out who he is. In the second movie, we get a lot more of the sort of politics. We're introduced to Pamela Landy. We're introduced to the, uh, you know, the agency's deeper, um, you know, even deeper uh, missions in terms of, um, uh, you know, the Treadstone Initiative and what it meant. And now we're introduced to Black Briar as, uh, you know, orchestrated in this film uh, by the, the wonderful David Strathairn. And uh, we are introduced to this project, the Treadstone Black Briar project, being more than jason Bourne, right we have other assets Mm -hmm. that are now at play against one another and and we have all these tools and i think that this the the very end of the film when jason Bourne is standing on the on the side of the building and he says look what they've you know look what they've got us doing do you even know why you had to kill me uh sort of begging the question and another guy who's just like he is just a tool uh, to to see the bigger picture, and he jumps off the building and and uh, you know is shot, but we see him kind of swimming off. Um, it, you know that becomes the setup to uh, to I think the next story, right? I mean that seems to be the the jumping off point for the next story. Uh, where you know I don't know that I even have a question in here. It just seems well, I'm I'm trying to figure out how this was how this was architected because here I'm watching Ultimatum and it feels like it was really put you know it was it, the 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 arc of the story was was put together very very well and now I feel like we're going to meet Jeremy Renner and in and we have the potential for a brand new uh, a brand new series. Yeah, it's I mean it is really interesting because you could almost have an endless supply of these you know operatives and I think it's what's what fascinates me is how at the beginning if you think back to the Bourne identity when um, Jason Bourne is facing off with the professor in the field and mm-hmm. and he shoots the professor and played by Clive Owen and Clive Owen is dying and he he looks up at Jason and he goes look at this look at what they make you give right and then he dies no, oh, that's a, that's a great the exact catch. same words that Jason says to yeah. pause at the end when pause is confronting him and, and pause is confused because he doesn't understand why Jason Bourne didn't kill him after the car crash. And Jason says to him, look at us, look at what they make you give. It's like he's finally connected the dots and he's come back to home as as um, Dr. Hirsch 
uh, wonderfully played by Albert Finney, says he's come home um, and he's realized and he sees what exactly they've made of him. And, the, you know, they say they're going to be saving American lives, but now he realizes they used him as, as an assassin to go kill a Russian um, politician and his wife and destroy a family. And he starts realizing all of these horrible things he's done and how that it's not for the right reasons. And he 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 did it for the wrong reasons as well. And he's finally come to terms with that, you know, and and now he's looking at essentially he is now the professor looking at himself, right. realizing this is what they do to you. They destroy you. And it's and it's an amazing growth for him to go from seeing the professor as he's dying, saying those words to the point where he's now saying them and he's now done with this program and he wants out. It's it's sort of that that repeating kind of refrain of redemption that he is seeking in spite of not knowing 100% what he did and what he was capable of. He's constantly looking for for that sense of redemption and and that that full cycle that we get with him using that same language as the professor uh, is him, you know, you get the feeling it's him sort of doing his best to pay it forward, uh, even though you know he knows that uh, you know that pause pause isn't there. But if he can plant a seed, uh, so much the better. It, it makes it for a you know it, it's a it's a tight little package. The other thing that I I think is so fascinating, and this is why it's just I mean it's my favorite of these three films. I just think it's such a fascinating take on this story and it's an amazing way that they resolve it all but the the bit um the the thing that i think is so amazing is how the born supremacy and this film are tied together and how like the first two acts of this film essentially take place right in the uh, between right, right before the bit at the end of Born Supremacy, right? Right. So you've got the Born Supremacy, and then you've got um, toward the end, you've got that bit where it's six weeks later, and he's in New York, and he's watching Pam Landy, and that whole bit. Um, and it's kind of it's interesting. It's kind of a cute end, right? Because you get that whole you know look out the window as Moby's music kicks up, sort of yeah. thing, which is kind of a fun way to end it. But what you um, what you don't uh, realize is, what you think about later, it's like, well, why would he go back to New York? Why, why is he just like spying on her now and kind of creeping up and watching her all the time? I mean, it's kind of weird when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And then you put it in context of this film and it all, it, it's just, it's so fascinating when you realize, oh, so this whole thing is why he's now in New York and how he sets the, that whole conversation up just so he can break into the CIA headquarters and so he can get the paperwork out of Noah's office. I mean, it was just, it, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I was... love how how they structured that in the script. And, you know, kudos kudos to the writing team um, headed up by Tony Gilroy on this one. It, it, it was uh, it was really artfully done. And, and I think that's another reason, you know, I... Uh, that that these two movies in particular, um, you know, fit so well together, like a just a just beautiful pieces that that come together in this puzzle and and make so much sense in a movie that otherwise, you know, uh, like I, like I said before, it's one of those movies you watch again and you get even more out of it, uh, you know, even more out of the dramatic pieces of it and the the 
the the structure and story of it than of the just the visuals and the enjoyment of it. Um, what do we what do we know about the production of this? It's largely the same team uh, that came back together to do this film. What uh, what do we know about um, you know the backstory? I don't have a whole lot of the backstory on this one, but Tony Gilroy. Um, they knew that after the last one, they wanted to really continue this story of his um, atonement. And uh, my understanding is Tony Giroy didn't feel that the second film um, got it into the story as much as he wanted it to. And so, um, so he was asked to kind of, figure out a way to get this one going. And, and he's actually the one who came up with the whole idea of, of building the first two acts of this um, in that six-week gap right at the end of The Born Supremacy, um, which I, I think was just fantastic. Um, so he, he crafted The Born Ultimatum, kind of put that together. And, uh, and then my understanding is he kind of um, backed off the project and kind of stayed away from it. Uh, and I don't really know why. I didn't really hear anything about that. Um, yeah, but... there, there was an interesting... The, the line that strikes me is that uh, he has not, uh, as of 2009, had not watched the finished film. Which is interesting because he's directing the next one. So I assume that he finally... Yeah, got... <laughs> he finally came through. <laughs> because he uh, obviously had to incorporate many elements right. from it into it. So... Um, so he was one of the writers on it. Um, you know, he's a very smart filmmaker, and I can't wait to do a Tony Gilroy series because I, I think Michael Clayton is a, a masterpiece, oh. and I think Duplicity is um, horribly underrated, and I just think it's such a fun movie to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Duplicity is one of—it's at the very top. And talk about an unbelievably complex uh, caper film. Yeah, and it's so fun. Oh, so yeah, much fun. yeah. So anyway, that would be a great one. We'll talk about him some more. Yeah. But um, then I understand, you know, Scott Burns and George Nolfi came on and did um, most of the writing. But my understanding of this is this was one of those movies where a lot of writing was being done while they were making it. Um, it was it was one of those <laughs> yeah. scripts that just kind of had a problem. You know, people were um, you know still figuring out what was going on um, as they shot it. Somehow, I still think it came out really fantastic. So um, uh, I I love it. But yeah, so Scott Burns, um, George Nolfi, George Nolfi, um, you know, he wrote. Um, Timeline, Ocean's 12, The Sentinel, this, and uh, then he uh, directed, produced, and wrote The Adjustment Bureau based on a Philip K. Dick short story. So um, that's his background. And then, yeah, there are some great movies in that list, and Timeline. Yeah, and Timeline. And Scott Burns, um, he is writing the new Planet of the Apes movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but he um, he came on as uh, with this and the informant and contagion. So he's kind of a, both of them seem to have some ties to Steven Soderbergh and, and his circles. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how that tied into this, if at all, but somehow they're connected that way. And then there are uncredited um, other people who came on board and helped out with the script, like Tom Stoppard um, actually came on board and he worked on 
I don't know how much of it he developed with Paul Greengrass, but the one scene that I know that Tom Stoppard really um, worked on was the scene with Nikki and Jason Bourne in the cafe when they're sitting there. And you've mm-hmm. got, I think, one of the most beautiful scenes that has so much subtext about their past together. Yeah. And, and I I love that scene in how simple it's written. So much is is done with the actors looking at each other and the eyes and just their the way that they the expression on their faces change as Jason realizes oh we had a past together there was something between her and I and I like how it's very ambiguous you don't have to really get into what it was but you just realize there was something there there's more to their story and and it, for me that it makes it where at that moment she almost becomes another Marie for him mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the scene in Tangiers is so powerful when he's trying to rescue her. And then to me, it's it's really heartbreaking after he finally kills Dash and he looks up and she's just kind of looking at him and he's got that shame, you know. It's like he's he's been Jason Bourne and then all of a sudden David Webb comes back and he realizes that what he's done and he sees this girl that he once, you know, had a relationship with looking at him as a killer and it's, it's a heartbreaking scene, you know, Truly, and, and it's, it's great. So anyway, Tom Stoppard, um, you know, who wrote, uh, Shakespeare in love, which, um, I just loved. Rosen, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And Brazil, my all time Brazil. Favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom Stoppard wrote that scene uncredited and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, there, there were some other writers who came on board and did some other rewrites, but uh, Tony Gilroy, Scott Burns, and George Nolfi are the three who share screenplay credit. And Tony Gilroy has screen story credit. And Robert Ludlum, of course, has, has uh, credit as the novelist, although I don't think anything was actually taken from his book. Yeah, that's that's the truth. What'll be interesting, actually, about Legacy, as long as we're getting ready for that, is uh, now th- that'll be one that's based on uh, Eric von Lustbader's Eric von Lustbader. Uh, his <laughs> take on really good Eric von Lustbader. Were you just watching the girl with the dragon tattoo again? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's what's awesome about that? <laughs> I totally was. Nice. I just got it today. Oh. Ex- <laughs> That's so funny. Ah. Okay. Um so what I what I was wondering is I wonder if there's any way that they uh that the Gilroy uh boys uh actually bring us back in line with the uh with the books on which they the the film is based. I will be I'm curious to see that. Well, the Born Legacy book came out in 2004. So at least it's it's already taking place in a more modern world right and it was written after the born identity film had come out exactly interesting to see um yeah i'm excited to see yes uh how'd the movie do um the movie did well you know progressively they've gotten better and better uh, which is great for a trilogy because oftentimes they the numbers slowly go down the Born Identity made 213 million worldwide. The Born Supremacy made um, 288.5 million worldwide, and The Born Ultimatum made 442 million worldwide. So it's definitely been an increase each time, which is uh, always great to see. So it'll be really interesting to see where The Born Legacy ends up, um, how much money it ends up breaking in. 
the the other thing I just have to say is this has one of the m- most perfectly iconic posters of all of them. Well, I gotta say, I have always felt that the posters for Born Identity and Born Supremacy have been horrible. Yeah, I mean, I hate horrible. them. No, They're it's like, horrible. yeah, the Born Supremacy. Uh, you know, you might as well just call it Shooter. Well, and that's that's one of the awful posters. Uh, the the worst is I, actually that one. I think is the worst because the tagline on it, I think, is just so terrible. I can't remember what it says right now, but it's like you know, you know, they yeah, they they should have left him alone. Yeah, it sounds like oh, it, 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 it might as well be. I'm taking my ball and going home. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but uh but but no i i think the uh the the born ultimatum poster is the is the back of his head and he is uh staring at the city across the river uh staring at new york city and the and the teaser tag is this summer jason Bourne comes home and that is cheesy and campy and i don't like that but i love the photo i love the photo i love matt damon's perfectly square cut you know um haircut and his really sort of joke everywhere uh joe everyman jacket uh his uh you, you have that exa- you have a born haircut right now well now that's- i do yeah i totally i'm I, that's what i was going for is uh the jason Bourne look i want to be able to fit in everywhere and nowhere <laughs> Uh, and so I, I love it. This great artwork. It's a, it really is apart from the, apart from the jiggly thing. It's really, really, it's great. And, but it just, um, I, I find it, uh, uh, a little bit impenetrable and, 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 um, uh, compare when comparing it to the other two movies. And I, I was surprised. (laughs) I am too. I, I, this is one I've watched this one actually, I think more (laughs) than either of the other two. And uh, to me, I just feel this one is just such a solid story. Pam Landy, you know, I can't say enough about how great um, Joan Allen is. And um, her, David Strathern, Scott Glenn, Albert Finney, Julia Stiles. I mean, he gets the best people to work on these films, you know. And I just love the level they bring. Even some of the supporting characters are just... They're done so well. Like, you know, Edgar Ramirez as Paz has, has such um, humanity in that character. And I just love him. He's, he's a fantastic character. So it, yeah. it's hard to go wrong. And then did you notice um, Daniel Bruhl playing um, um, the sister of uh, Marie? I mean, the brother of the Marie. The brother of Marie, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, um, um, he's in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. He's the big German movie star. So... It was a nice, nice to see him. This is one of those films where, kind of actually like what Tarantino did in *Inglorious Bastards*, he re- they really focus on casting real people from the real countries as yes. opposed to hiring people who are pretending they're from those countries. Yes, and, and, and I love that about this. Absolutely, uh, it paid off in that movie and in this one. Um, yeah, yeah, I like it. That's good. So, so okay. So, take this the the queasy cam out. Okay. Is this does that make this actually better for you? Like, well, yeah, like, no. I mean, I think if it's if you tone that down, I I'm not saying get rid of the queasy. I'm just saying get rid of the comically sort of Saturday Night Live fodder queasy cam. I mean, you can totally see it like being rendered a joke, uh, and that's unfortunate because I think in. Uh, 
supremacy and uh, identity you you get it used uh, you, you know they use it really with a with a purpose and with with art and here it just seems sort of indiscriminate um but but there are this is one of those movies that there are so many beats and so many ele- individual elements that that are just outstanding yeah. uh and i find it um you know just sort of hard to get into the although I will say the opening, uh, this is a wonderful opening. Like you just jump right in. I, you know, I, I I think this is the strongest opening of the three, uh, with him running through the the um, you know running across the the bridge and into the uh, yeah. into the room limping, trying to take care of himself is a fantastic uh, fantastic sequence. Uh, but you know, yeah, I mean it makes it better. I'm not sure it makes it my favorite of the three. I'm not sure it's yeah. there yet. So which is the favorite of yours? See, now I'm second guessing everything. <laughs> I need to wait till tomorrow to see if the sky is blue. Uh, yeah. I I think the, uh, I think, uh, here's what I'm going to say. I think the first one, I think uh, identity is, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say identity is my favorite because it's the, because of the purest in me. And, uh, I liked. I did like them all. This is your favorite, really? Yeah, this is my favorite. All right. Well, I clearly could go on and on about this for a long time, but they're, they're all right up there with me. For me. Yeah. So enough. Enough out of me. So next, well, uh, it's next couple, week. Is well, but, 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 oh, a you got things. things. Yeah, a couple things yeah. that I just want to say, which I love more things that I love. I just Please. keep going on. But I, I think it's great that there's a, some ties to uh, French connection in this, which I, I know Paul Greengrass has said is kind of an inspiration for him as far as great action films. And I know we're going to be talking about it sometime yeah. in the near future. But the French Connection, there's that great moment actually at the end of the Waterloo sequence when he ends up at the train station and he's trying to track down Paz and he he comes up against him on the other side of the glass as the train leaves and he watches Paz roll away it's in perfect. the tunnel, which is great it's play great. off of the French Connection sequence. Not to mention the great car chase through the city, which I uh, I think which, is great. So. Which ends so, so well. I mean, I thought that was such a clever uh, uh, bit when he, you know, when he, th- there's that moment where he leans down and wraps himself in the seatbelt. Yeah. And w- whenever I see that, every time I see that, the first thing I think of is, I would never have thought to do that. <laughs> right. I know. That just, that bums me out. The other thing I will say that I loved is it, it's another character moment when uh uh nikki is uh cutting her hair and doing her hair you know in the bathroom and she yeah. catches his eyes in the uh, in the mirror and they look at each other and you can just tell he's thinking of um marie. Of marie and it's just that there's that moment that that is just uh it's just really perfect it is and again i mean talking about how well these movies really do tie together um it, it was one of those great moments so yeah. many little things to like Okay. Yeah, it really is an action series um, for the modern age. I think it's it's taken what the James Bond films done. I know I know we've talked about James Bond before and kind of compared the two, but it's taken all those cliches and conventions that the James Bond film um, films and franchise have used for for decades, and it's kind of turned them slightly so that it all seems to fit better with modern sensibility. And I really love that about this trilogy and how it's. It really has kind of redefined the modern action hero for our age. Right. I just, I, I, I can't get enough of them. I just really love these films. 
Well, I it'll be interesting to see what they what they do with it in the next round. I'm very excited about it, and I'll say, I, you know, did you have you seen have you had a chance to see this the IMAX Skyfall bit? Um, I have not. It was at the it was uh, for the beginning of whatever the Batman right of Dark Knight Rises. They had a mm-hmm. they had an IMAX exclusive Skyfall trailer, uh, and I'm telling you, that movie is looking a lot like Born. Yeah. Well, that's what I think yeah. they're doing. I think they're they're really going um like we said last time. Um you know, Casino Royale came yeah. out after Born Identity and Born Supremacy. Yeah. And I think that they've taken a lot from this line of action hero storytelling and have almost created a new bo- a new bond for the modern age. Right. So all right, so we are, uh, it is next week we're going to be talking about The Born Legacy, mm-hmm. and uh, very much looking forward to that, and uh, the uh, the goodly Jeremy Renner's take on, I don't know, being a suicidal or a, a homicidal amnesiac. Although I don't know if he has amnesia. And we, I don't think he's homicidal. No, no, I don't think right. so. So there's a lot to learn. Yeah, quite excited, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about that. And we're gonna do our. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to we'll have to let everybody know exactly when we're doing the, um, the chat about it, right? Yeah, but that'll that'll definitely be out by the time you hear this. There should be a note on the Facebook page, facebook.com/slash movies we like. There will be a notice there. Make sure uh, you hit the like button. Hit the like button. We are uh, bringing the film board together. Do you like that? I, I coined it. It's a film board. The movies we like film board. The board. It feels officious. It does. It really does, right? Now, that'll be good. We've got, uh, and I, as far as I know, uh, they'll all have seen it by then. So. It's going to be fun. All right. Hey, uh, good to talk to you. Likewise. Likewise. And uh, yeah. Where, I guess where, we'll you, should, you should tell people where they can find you. If they've they made can it all uh, follow me on Twitter at Soda Creek Film. Uh, find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Soda Creek Film or on uh, facebook.com slash Movies We Like or over on Rash Pixel. Excellent. Dot TV. Dot TV slash NWL. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find us at rashpixel.tv. As Andy said, you can find me at Pete Wright on the Twitter or obviously on Facebook at facebook.com slash Movies We Like. Thanks very much, and we will catch you next week. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, 
go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.